Yeah. Okay. Do please be seated. St. Andrew. What do we know about him? And what relevance does a first century Galilean fisherman have for us today? So, what do we actually know about him? Now, this is going to be my pathetic attempt to stop you falling asleep in the first minute and a half of this sermon. So, what do we know about him? Where is he the patron saint of? Scotland. Scotland? Anywhere else? Russia. Oh. <laughs> there are actually a good half dozen countries that claim him. Um, a lot of Central and Eastern European countries. That's largely due to the influence of the Kievan Rus. Greece, Cyprus, and a few slightly more interesting ones, such as Colombia, Barbados, and Tenerife. Not sure St. Andrew has ever got to them. There are people who claim him as well. Any guesses? What profession was St. Andrew? Fisherman. Fisherman. He's the patron saint of fishermen. He's actually the patron saint of anything to do with fish, so fishmongers claim him as well. Another one you might not know, but it's Singers, ladies, he's ours. <laughs> and he also gets, I don't know why, patronage of spinsters and old maids. Well, <laughs> if you're not feeling too good, if you're suffering from gout, St. Andrew is the man to pray for. Patron saint, I don't think that's the right word, terminology for it, patron saint of gout, and sore throats. I suppose that's to do with us singers. I wonder if fishermen's friends have anything to do with that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> anybody know where you want to go, where you have to go if you want to go and venerate his relics? Hmm? The poor man's scattered about everywhere. Uh, bits of him are in Patras in Greece, some in Amalfi, some in Edinburgh, some in Warsaw. So, there we have some knowledge about St Andrews, or so we think. Because I don't want to disappoint you too much. But almost all of this is church tradition, a lot of it medieval, rather than information that we, can, that we can actually say that we've got some properly documented early sources for. So where else can we look? Well, if we go back to the Bible, we learn, as we saw today in the Gospel reading, that Andrew was the brother of Simon Peter. Now we can make some educated guesses from what we learn from the Bible. But even here, the material is pretty sparse. Andrew is generally assumed to be Simon Peter's younger brother, but that is simply because normally he gets mentioned second. Andrew's name is Greek. Simon's is Aramaic. From this wise and learned scholars have extrapolated that their family was open to the multicultural influences in Galilee at the time. Andrew's Greek name has also been used as a basis to assume that he was the one that was later sent to spread the good news to the Greek world. Tradition has it that he was crucified in Petrus, that's why his relics are left there in Greece but insisted that he was not worthy to share the same fate as Christ and therefore asked that the cross be put on its side, which is why we have the Psalter, that sideways cross of St Andrew's, on the Scottish flag and on the Russian naval flag. 
Now, some traditions, particularly the Orthodox, call him the Pierwazvanne, or Protoclete, the first called. That comes from the version that we actually see in John's Gospel, where Andrew is named as a disciple of John the Baptist. And John points out Jesus as the Lamb of God, at which point Andrew follows Jesus to find out what this is all about, and having been completely bowled over, rushes off to share the wonderful news that they found the Messiah with his brother Simon. As we saw from today's gospel, Matthew, he has Andrew and Simon receiving, hearing the call together. Now, when it comes down to it, the order in which the disciples came to Christ is, I believe, essentially unimportant. However, there are a couple of major takeaways, and I don't mean fish suppers by that, from today's gospel message. First one, sharing our faith with others. Whether it's Andrew rushing off to share the good news with Simon Peter, or the two brothers starting off together to be fishers of men, the essential thing is the sharing. If our faith means anything to us, then surely we should want others to come and know the same joy. Were you listening to Malcolm's sermon last week about the talents and the lazy servant with the one talent who was rebuked for doing nothing? Doing nothing is not an option where our faith is concerned. And it's not just the responsibility of the men in dresses with the funny collars. We all have to pay our part in bringing people to a knowledge of Christ. So, does that mean that we have to be out on street corners, buttonholing strangers, ramming the Christian message down their throats because they are going to know the joy of Christ whether they like it or not? <laughs> well, I certainly hope not. I may be showing some essentially British reticence in this, but for me, that is the quickest and best way of putting people off the idea of Christianity for life. I'm sure many of us have experienced the well-meaning friend or colleague who has crowbarred Christ into every aspect of conversations with people that they hope to bring introduce to the faith. If you're anything like me, you will probably have looked on, toes curling in embarrassment and prayed for them to shut up. Very few are blessed with the qualities that make an inspirational preacher. And the vast majority of us shouldn't be trying to force ourselves into a mould that isn't our shape. But that doesn't mean that we can sit back and abnegate responsibility. We all have gifts that can be used in his service. And we need to let God lead us to use the strengths and talents that we have to reveal the love of Christ to others. That means... First and foremost, taking the time to open ourselves to his will. Being ready to listen, rather than to set our own agenda for how we want to set the world on fire. 
It doesn't have to be in words. Just look at today's psalm. The heavens are telling the glory of God. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard, yet their voice goes out through all the earth. A crucial first step is that we can show our faith by example. If we are really living a Christian life, then others should want to be like us. If people and res respect and admire your lifestyle and the way you interact with others, they're going to see you as an example to follow, just like we follow the example of the saints. Once you have earned their respect, then opening up about what it is that forms the foundation of your life and actions is far more likely to have an effect on others. We all have gifts we can use. Sometimes it can be as simple as offering hospitality or showing concern. The most important thing is opening our hearts and allowing God to use us rather than assuming that we know best how his kingdom is to be shared with others. Second point, drop everything and follow the call. Now, this is the tough one. Do you remember the parable of the great dinner in Luke, where those who were invited came up with more or less feeble excuses why they couldn't attend, ranging from new oxen to new wives? Or the potential disciple, comes a little bit after today's passage in Matthew, who just wants to go and bury his father before he gives up everything to follow Jesus. Well, that surely can't be wrong, can it? Showing respect for your father and giving him a proper funeral? Time to fess up. If I ever get that kind of call, I will be asking just for the chance to make sure that my cats are being properly looked after before I leave everything and follow Jesus. So is Christ really asking us to stick two proverbial fingers up at our nearest and dearest and head off on our own course without any consideration for them? Well, of course, that isn't what he wants. The love that we are capable of feeling for our fellow men and our fellow creatures pales into insignificance beside the love that God has shown and continues to show for his creation. He loves those who are dear to us more than we ever can. And it is intrinsic in our faith that we show care and consideration for those around us. It's there in the summary of the law, right at the beginning of our communion service. Take a look at it. Page 167, open up your black books. If you weren't paying attention, sorry, 168. Right there in the middle. First commandment, love God. Second commandment, love your fellow man. Summary of the law. But God comes first. We may never find ourselves in a situation where we're asked to make that choice. But if it ever happens, we really have to have our priorities clearly set out. God comes before all material considerations, 
Now, tough as that can be with the pressures of our modern world, I hope that we can all at least accept logically that that's a no-brainer. More, the more difficult step is placing God before all emotional ties. But this stretches right back to the Jewish roots of our Christian faith. It's what the story of Abraham and Isaac is telling us. God never had any intention of getting Abraham to sacrifice his son. But Abraham did need to show that the much-loved only child of his old age was not the centre of his universe, that God still held that key place. Think back also to the Ten Commandments. It's a pity we can't any longer see them etched up in marble here. But they're not just lumped higgledy-piggledy in any order. The first four are about our relation to God and the respect and honour he is due. Then comes honour your father and mother, respect for your elders, for the family and society that formed you. After that, we're into the thou shalt not. When Andrew and Simon took up the call, they didn't hesitate. We know nothing of Andrew's private life, but we do know that his brother Simon was married because Christ healed Simon's mother-in-law. Walking away from their relatively stable existences as fishermen, let alone leaving their families and friends, can't have been easy for any of them. But like the disciples, we need to understand that God will never set us a task that we are not capable of fulfilling. He will never set us up to fail. The only thing that will let us down is our own lack of faith. But once again, we have to be open to understanding what he wants for us, rather than what we want to give him in the way of our service. It is in truly offering our lives up to God that we receive back from him the fullness of life. I'd just like to finish with a short prayer from, by Francis de Sales. Lord, I am yours, and I must belong to no one but you. My soul is yours, and must live only through you. My will is yours, and must love only for you. I must love you as my first course, since I am from you. I must love you as my goal and rest, since I am for you. I must love you more than my own being, since my being comes from you. I must love you more than myself, since I am all yours and all in you. Amen.